What is up, y'all? Daphne here, and welcome back to Seriously, What the Frick? So, a few weeks ago, we talked about Robert Fisher. If you haven't listened to it, go do that. It's a wild-ass story that is just... Oh my gosh, that's all I have. But the overall story is that he killed his family, and he hasn't been seen in 20 years. Up and vanished, and we don't know where the fuck he is. And as of this recording yesterday, he um, was actually removed from the FBI's top 10 most wanted list, which I did not know at the time while writing the script. I just thought I would throw that out there. He's no longer on the list. Um, let me know how you guys think about that, because I don't know how I think about that. I think it's just because he was just he hasn't been he hasn't been seen in so long. So I think that's probably why he was removed. But that doesn't matter. This is not relevant to the story. But this episode is about another man who was on the run after killing his family for 17 and a half years before he was finally captured. This week, we are talking about John List. John Emil List was born September 17, 1925, in Bay City, Michigan. He was the only child of John Frederick List and then Alma Barbara Florence List. John grew up in a very devoted Lutheran household, and he eventually taught Sunday school a little bit later on in his life. His parents were super strict. His mom, in particular, was super protective and domineering. And that is really it when it came to his childhood. Not much is known. LOL. In 1943, John enlisted in the U.S. Army and he served as a laboratory technician during World War II. He was later discharged in 1946 and then that's when he enrolled at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. He earned his bachelor's degree in business administration and then later on a master's degree in accounting. And then he was commissioned as a second lieutenant through the ROTC, which I'm assuming was through the university. In November of 1950, the Korean War was hotter than a motherfucker, and John was actually called back for active service. When he was at Fort Eustace, I think that's how you say it, in Virginia, our buddy John met a woman. I know. Her name was Helen Morris Taylor, and she was a widow of a late infantry officer. Obviously, she's a widow. And he was killed in action back in Korea. She lived with her daughter with the infantry officer, and her name was Barbara. Was script Daphne wrong? I don't know. I think I remember him saying, or like, not him physically saying, but I think I remember my sources saying that he was an officer, which I know there is a difference between officers and being enlisted. I know there's a difference, and I know y'all take that way too seriously, but that's just me. So don't come after me if he wasn't. I actually couldn't find anything about him. I can't even find his name. I didn't really look too hard for his name, but I didn't come across it in my research. So just saying. December 1st of 1951, John List and Helen Morris Taylor were married. Yay! They were married in Baltimore, Maryland, and the family, I'm going to assume, um, yeah, Helen, Helene? Uh-oh. What's her face's daughter, Barbara, as well, moved into uh, North Carolina. The army thought that John, like, since John had a master degree in counting and was quite good at it, they reassigned him to the finance corp which I didn't even know was a thing. So a little background on that. The Finance Corps was established June 16th of 1775, and it is a combat service, and it supports just the U.S. Army alone. No other military branch has a Finance Corps for my research. I could be wrong. I don't know many things. I'm not dumb, I promise. I'm just not the smartest person in the world. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to continue with the script. 
Um, so the Finance Corp is responsible for financial operations, usually just payroll and resource management as its main function, which that makes sense that there's something for that. Like, what the fuck did I think and how they did that? I don't know. But it makes sense why that's a thing. But I think with other branches, it's just an MOS you kind of just enlist in. They don't have a whole like sub branch for that question mark. Okay, moving on from that. John finished a second tour in 1952, which if you're not quite sure what a tour is, because y'all have obviously heard the term, whether you're a military family or know anyone in the military or not, you've heard the term tour. Either it's one, six, or like second. But a tour is a, t- is a period of time spent in combat or hostile environment. Pretty fucking explainable, but I guess I f- feel like I should tell you the actual definition so you guys actually know what it means. It's explainable, so you're like, oh, tour, he was, you know, blah, 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 gone. But it's like tour isn't just being like you're going here for a little bit but it's like a safe little happy environment usually you hear like oh like my third tour to iran or afghanistan stuff like that so i'm just over explaining everything this 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 entire episode was just me over explaining things and i'm sorry (laughs) okay so john finished his second tour in 1952 and then he started to work for an accounting firm in detroit and then became an audit supervisor at a paper company in kalamazoo Michael Scott would have hated him. January 8th, 1955, Helen and Helene, his wife, and John's first daughter, Patricia, was born. Roughly a year later, John Jr. List was born in 1956, and then Frederick List was born August of 1958. So now he has a whole family that he loves dearly. By 1959, John had risen to a general supervisor of the paper company accounting department, but by 1960, life wasn't looking so great by, for the List family. Helen had become a heavy alcoholic and began to be very unstable because of the effects that she was suffering from syphilis from her previous husband, but no one would know that till like 10 years later, and I'll kind of get to that when I get to his testimony, but that's, that's a long time away. Helene, Helen, I'm just going to call her Helen because that's just how I pronounced it to myself while I was writing my script. So she's Helen today. Sorry about that. Helen's daughter, Brenda, left and got married. And then John moved his family to Rochester, New York, so he can have a job with a company called Xerox. I always forget to look things up and how to pronounce them. But I'm going to call it Xerox, which is a printing and digital documents company. And he became the director of accounting services. By 1965 so many dates. I'm so sorry. John had accepted um, a job to be a vice president in a comptroller at a bank in New Jersey City in New Jersey. And he moved in with his family and his mom at Breeze Knoll in a 19 bedroom Victorian mansion. John had bought the house for about $50,000 back then, which is roughly $435,000 today, which is impressive. Also, how the fuck do you just choose a 19 bedroom mansion? I am more than sure there were smaller mansions. There's literally six of you in the house. How many people are you taking in? You better be giving your favorite homeless people some shelter and a way to find a job. What the fuck? You don't need 19 bedrooms. Jokes aside, now we get to murder. It's a true crime podcast. I talk about murder all the time. I don't think there's an episode where I don't mention it. Don't act surprised. November 9th of 1971, it was a Tuesday. Just in case y'all were wondering. Patricia John List Jr., his first kid, his first son, and then Frederick List were all at school. So John took his own 9mm Sater 1912 semi-automatic handgun 
and his dad's Colt 22 caliber revolver just out of nowhere. And then he shot his wife in the back of the head while she was making her morning coffee. And then he shot his mom, Alma. Remember her? Like the super overprotective one I mentioned like 10 minutes ago. Yeah, so she was shot above her left eye while she was in bed, and then his 16-year-old daughter, Patricia, and his 13-year-old son, uh, Frederick, came home from school, and then John shot them in the back of the head. After doing this, he casually makes himself a sandwich, as one does, then drove to the bank to close his and his mom bank accounts, and then he drove to Westfield High to watch his other son's John List Jr. soccer game just to drive him home and then shoot him repeatedly because he had tried to defend himself against his dad, but ultimately the 15-year-old was unsuccessful. He was shot 10 fucking times. I don't... What the fuck, Shannon? No, no one's Shannon. I was just... That's just something I say when I'm just confused. I just say, what the fuck, Shannon? That's just what I say. It's just... It's fine. Just we're gonna carry on from that. John then placed the bodies of his wife, his mother, and his three kids on the sleeping bags, not even in the sleeping bags, on the sleeping bags, because I guess the dead can't get cold. And then he moved Helen, um, Patricia, Frederick, and Junior into the mansion's ba- ballroom and covered their faces. Also, the ballroom had a Louis, um, a Louis, Louis, I don't know, Robert Tiffany designed glass ceiling, which was allegedly valued at $100,000. Saying that as a side note. Seriously, what the frick is with this house? John had left his mom in the attic in her little apartment that she had up there, and according to the five page letter, which I'll get more um, into detail in about a second, he wrote, quote, P.S. Mother's in the hallway in the attic, third floor. She was too heavy to move, end quote. She was too fat to take downstairs. I did not laugh when I read that. <laughs> so after he is done doing all of that shit, he writes a five-page letter to his pastor, who is Reverend e- Eugene A. Rowrinkle, which, a little side note, John just felt like his reverend would m- understand the most, for some reason. Um, in which there's actually a video of the letter being read, which I will put on the Patreon. It's already on there. But this letter starts off with him apologizing to the reverend um, about him adding all of this to his workload. And then he said he saw too much evil in the world, but he thought God could have helped him in his time of distress. But, quote, apparently he saw no fit to answer my prayers, end quote. So I guess John just took it into his own hands and said, quote, This makes me think that perhaps it was for the best as far as the children's souls are concerned, end quote. So the overall reason why he killed his family was because, drumroll please, he was saving their souls. You don't, I don't, I, I, no. So as I mentioned earlier, John was raised in a very Lutheran household, um, and he kept that going, you know, since this letter was to his reverend, he obviously kept that going in his own family. So this letter was pretty much just justifying in a confession, pretty much, about his epiphany of killing his family. Quote, I'm also sure many will say, how could anyone do such a thing? My only answer is it isn't easy. It was done after much thought, end quote. And why he shot his family from behind was he, quote, didn't want to know any of them to know, even at the last second that I had to do this to them, end quote. And that's why he killed his mom was because the family being murdered would have, quote, would have been a tremendous shock to her, end quote. He wanted his family to go to heaven, which I mean, that is, he isn't wrong, according to my research, was, was a lot that if you're a believer, you go into heaven, according to the Lutheran part of Christianity. But why did he have to kill them? 
They would have gone to heaven anyway, according to half of the new revised standard version translation of the Bible that the Lutherans follow because they feel it's more in-depth and closer to the actual translations and scriptures of the original. Or so I read, I'm just an armchair detective and I don't know anything. That's a shirt idea. I don't know why. I am so just shaky and I'm just so hyper doing this recording. I'm so sorry. I'm really trying my best. I feel like puking. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> but in the letter, John also felt like as his family grew older, they would not stay faithful to their religion. John also thought that him selling insurance wasn't going to be enough to support his family. He had actually just recently lost his job and didn't want to tell his family that there was no income and that they were almost bankrupt. So he wanted to save his family from public shame since there wouldn't have been no money and I guess people were hard on the broke back then. John was roughly $11,000 behind on bills and the mortgage and he would eventually start taking some money out of his mom's bank account and eventually took out a second mortgage. He also refused to go on welfare because that's again would embarrass the family and it went against the principle of self-sufficiency that he learned from his father. Maybe if you had a smaller mansion, Jonathan, you wouldn't be in that situation now, would you? There were smaller ones. I actually spent way too much time on Google. I'm sorry, I'm yelling. I spent way too much time on Google Earth and I looked over this fucking neighborhood and there's a lot of houses that were six to seven bedrooms. They could have moved into one of those ones. But we wouldn't have that problem now, would we, John? Would we? You wouldn't have to kill your family because of bankruptcy. Go fuck yourself. Also, Patricia, his daughter, wanted to become an actor and, quote, what that might do to her continue being a Christian, end quote, and that he was very upset when Helen didn't want to go to church anymore and that she wanted the family to leave the church. And so after he writes his letters, he left it on his desk in his study and he cleaned the crime scenes and then removed himself from every single photograph that w I wrote paragraph, although every single photograph that included him in the house. Then he turned on the radio and tuned it to a religious station, slept in the house till the next morning, and then vanished. So remember how I said this happened on November 9th? The bodies weren't discovered till December 7th, almost a month later. And that, um, a lot of the reason why no one thought it was weird that the List family was gone for so long. Um, they were known to be very reclusive, which according to Google means um, avoiding the company of other people, and that John had taken even more initiative with covering his tracks, well, covering the murders for as long as he could. He had written to the kids' schools and jobs, which was later revealed in the trial that he had the kids get jobs to help with financial issues, but he hid it with him, like, teaching them responsibility and maturity. But he wrote to the school and the jobs that the kids were going to visit their sick grandmother in North Carolina for a few weeks. Which the grandma was actually sick. She was supposed to visit, but I decided not to because she was sick and she was actually supposed to be the sixth victim. Fun fact. What the fuck? Oh, and then he stopped milk deliveries, the mail, and the newspaper deliveries to the house. And then he kept all the lights on, which was a bad idea on his part because it made it more obvious that there's no actual like activity in the house because the lights are on and they can physically see that there's no movement in the house but when the lights um, when the light bulbs started to burn out one by one this is when the neighbors started to get a little suspicious and then this is when the police are called and asked to investigate so the cops show up and enter the home through an unlocked window leading to the basement and thus the discovery of well everything i just mentioned and this left New Jersey shook. This is the second most infamous uh, true crime case in New Jersey, only behind the kidnapping and murder of the Lindenberg baby, which I will eventually get to. And if you're wondering about the house, it was empty for roughly nine months after the murder. 
I guess you can call it the murder house, um, and no one would buy it, or I don't even think it was for sale. But the Breeze Knoll residence, which was the giant unnecessary mansion that the Liz family um, lived in, um, it had burned down in August of 1972, and my assumption was, because that's what I do, with no evidence whatsoever, I just assume stuff, is that maybe everyone thought the house was too evil, and kind of like the Michael Myers house, but like, no one did much about that one. This was eventually ruled as arson, so no one was ever convicted of it, there was never even suspects, and eventually a new house was built in its place in 1974, which was sold at $2.3 million in 2004 and hasn't been sold since. It's a really nice house. It was a nice house before. It's a nice house, and frankly, a family of six still still didn't need a 19-bedroom house. I will continue to bitch about this for the rest of the episode, and like forever, to the end of time, because why not? So I'm pretty sure it was actually the FBI, but they had found John List cars at the Kennedy International Airport in New York, but there was no um, like evidence that he even took a plane somewhere. So he just like abandoned the car, I guess, at the airport. Um, and this was actually his last known whereabouts. And then Bob Clark was born. Okay, so in 1971, John List had left New Jersey to Michigan and then to Colorado by train. He chose Denver as his forever home in, 19, um, in early 1972, and then he took an accounting job as Robert Peter Clark, but went by Bob. And John Liss later said how he chose his very common choice of names, as it was one of the names of his college classmates, but the real Robert Clark claimed he never knew John Liss. And from 1979 to 1986, he was a comptroller at a paper box manufacturer outside of Denver. And as someone who can barely see numbers, I was very confused but, about what a comptroller was. Not dumb, I just didn't care to learn about it. But a comptroller for my fellow idiots is a management level position that is responsible for supervising the quality of accounting and financial reporting of an organization. So a very important and crucial job. He then joined a Lutheran congregation because he needed religion more than ever now because, well, he just killed his entire family and then took someone else's name. And then he eventually did like a carpool thing for homebound people in his congregation, which is just... Homebound is technically when people are just too old or they need around-the-clock care, and they have church brought to them. At one of the meetings, he met a PX clerk from the new from the nearby army base named Dolores Miller, and then married her in 1985. By February of 1988, they had moved to Midlothian, Virginia, where John List or Bob Clark. I'm going to call him Bob just so y'all can keep up. But Bob is John. I hate it when people change their identities. But Bob went to go work as an accountant at a small firm. May 21st of 1989, the now 18-year-old List murders had appeared on America's Most Wanted, and this segment had included an age-progressed clay bust of the forensic artist Frank Bender believed John List would look like now. A lot of people watched this episode. I think it was 22 million people had watched it. And including Bob Clark's neighbors, who had called the police after they recognized that Bob Clark Wade looked way too similar to the bust, who was an accountant, loved to attend church, and he came out of pretty much fucking nowhere. And this bust was impressive. Frank Bender was very close to what um, John Listed actually looked like 18 years later, which I'll put those pictures up on the Instagram. So Frank Bender gave the bust a hawk nose, grizzled eyebrows, and horn-rimmed glasses. Psychologists had actually suggested that John List would wear the same glasses as he wore when he was younger to, quote, remind him of his more successful days, end quote. June 1st, um, nine days after the episode of America's Most Wanted aired, which this was actually the episode that saved the show, fun fact. And Bob Clark, or 
John List, or whatever the fuck his name is at this point, was arrested at his Richmond accounting firm. And he didn't budge for months after his arrest, still claiming to be Bob Clark, even after being extradited back to Union County in New Jersey. But after being presented with evidence that he cannot explain could be traced back to Bob Clark. And this included fingerprint match with John List's military records and then some evidence found at the crime scene. Bob Clark confessed to being John List on February 16th of 1990. Okay, so John List's trial was a little wild. He began by testifying that his financial um, situation was becoming too difficult in 1971. And when he was laid off after the Jersey City Bank had closed, he told the court that he pretended to go to work to, quote, avoid sharing the humiliating development with his family, end quote, and would continue this routine, but would hang out at the train station or would go to interviews sometimes. So John List also said that he was dealing with Helen's alcoholism because of untreated syphilis. So again, this is all according to John List's testimony. But since Helen, um, Helen can't defend herself because she's been dead for like 19 years at this point. But according to John, Helen had pressured John into marriage by claiming to be pregnant, which she wasn't, and insisted that they get married in Maryland because it was the only state, it wasn't the only state, but it was one of the few states at the time that you didn't have to take a premarital syphilis test, since a majority of other states at that time was mandatory, which... Back then, you had to take a pre-medical test, usually for syphilis, and you weren't allowed to get married until it was treated, and I believe this officially ended in 1980. But he had claimed as her health deteriorated, she never mentioned anything to him and her doctors until 1969, when she went for a checkup, and that's when it was revealed, in which Helen and John were married for almost 20 years by the time she even said anything to him about it. The progression of disease combined with her being an alcoholic, quote, transformed her from being an attractive young woman to an unkempt and paranoid recluse, end quote. And I guess would publicly humiliate John and compare his sexual prowess as lacking to her former husband, and she would do this pretty often. And that was pretty much his entire testimony. Overall, his testimony is, I had a midlife crisis, didn't know what to do about it, killed my family, and then I enjoyed my life afterwards. A court-appointed psychiatrist testified that John Liss was suffering from obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, also known as OCPD, which is an excessive need for orderliness, neatness, and perfection. And he only saw two options to solve the financial and possible social problems he is facing and will be facing. One, to accept welfare, which we all know was very unacceptable to John, or to kill his family and send them to heaven, quote-unquote. He obviously opted for the second option because, well, I just went over that. April 12th of 1990, John Emil List was convicted of five accounts of first-degree murder, and then his and at his sentencing hearing, he straight up denies having any direct responsibility for any of his actions. Quote, I was unaccountable for what happened. I ask all affected by this for their forgiveness, understanding, and prayer. End quote. And the judge was not moved, nor did he give any fucks. Quote, John Emil List is without remorse and without honor. After 18 years, 5 months, and 22 days, it is now time for the voices of Helen, Alma, Patricia, Frederick, and John F. List to rise from the grave. End quote. The judge then gave John a um, sentence of five terms of life imprisonment to be served consecutively, and that this was the maximum penalty at the time. And of course, John List appealed and claimed that on his ground, um, that the ground that he was appealing on was that his judgment was impaired by PTSD due to him being in the military and his time there. And he also argued the fact that the that he left the letter of confession at the crime scene and it was supposed to be confidential between him and his reverend. 
and that was technically supposed to fall under inadmissible evidence. And the court said, that's crazy, and then denied the appeals. Legends. John did eventually show that he did regret his crime, saying, quote, I wish I'd never done what I did. I've regretted my action and prayed for forgiveness ever since, end quote. So, John Lust eventually did a interview with Connie Chung in 2002, and he was asked why he didn't just kill himself after he killed the rest of his family and decided to live a life on the run. He just responded that he believed that suicide was going to prevent him from going to heaven, where he hoped that after that he would go after he died and that he would be reunited with his family. I don't imagine that reunion would go so great. John List eventually died of complications of pneumonia at age 82 on March 21st, 2008. And that is actually all I have for you guys this week. I had completely forgotten about this case until it came up on my list and I did the research for the episode. I, it's, I don't even know. It's wild. And this is why you shouldn't take religion too seriously. You might kill your family. I'm kidding. But honestly, a lot of people's reasons for killing their pe- their family is because God told me to, or something along, along those lines. Actually, fun fact, John Lewis was a suspect for the D.B. Cooper plane hijack since he had disappeared two weeks prior to the hijacking, and he fit the motive of a, quote, um, a fugitive accused of mass murder and had nothing to lose, end quote. John List was questioned after he was captured, but he denied it all. His name is still occasionally mentioned when it comes to being a person of interest in the Cooper case, but there's been no direct evidence, and the FBI has stopped considering him as a suspect a long time ago. I don't really have any, like, thoughts on this. Like, my brain is blank. It's just a wild-ass story, and it sucks that this happened to the List family, and for some reason, I did way too much research on things. I think I've been watching way too much MatPat recently, but that... I don't know. I'm honestly still mad about the whole house thing. Like, why? Honestly, I'm blaming the house for this whole thing because why? Just get a smaller house. You wouldn't have been in so much debt. There was six of you. Imagine the bills for that place. I, that actually hurts my brain to think about. 19 bedrooms, a whole ass mansion. Like, and, uh, why did you need that many, that much space? Okay, I'm gonna leave. Let me um, let me know how you guys see, uh, feel about this case. You know, the socials, Instagram, Twitter. Mostly Instagram. I do got Facebook now, which I'll link into the... I got a whole ass Facebook page for this shit now, so I'll link that in the show notes or description or whatever. Um, Instagram is usually the place that I talk to you guys, um, and along with the Patreon, which thank you guys for supporting me over there. It's really awesome. I really appreciate y'all. You guys are the best. I got a website. Still broken. I'm working on that. Not very good at that sort of thing. Um, and it probably won't be fixed until the next season, so... Um, yeah, actually, next week is going to be my last episode um, for season two. And I think I'm going to come back in January just because of the holidays. And I'll get all into that, you know, next week. I'm, I'm going to leave now. OK, I'm just too awkward and just too anxious. I don't know what I don't know what's happening. Be kind, make decent decisions, and I'll see you guys next week with a brand new episode that will make you say seriously, what the frick? Bye, y'all.